The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week, once again, is no exception. We've got a terrific return guest to Guys Guys Radio. He's a film director, producer, writer, actor. He's done scripted Hollywood films. He's done rom-coms. He's done documentaries. His name is Bill Bennett. He's an award-winning producer and director. We're going to talk about his latest film. It's just coming out now. It's called Facing Fear. And it's all about that emotion that seems to plague our culture right now. It's all about the fear, and Bill has done a terrific job in uh, going deep down and getting to the bottom of it, if you will, what fear is all about and how we can have fear work for us instead of against us. His previous film that really put him on a bigger stage and bigger platform is called PGS Personal Guidance System, all about, uh, all about intuition. And he's going to do a series of five films And these are the first two. The latest one, once again, is called Facing Fear. Within the context of the films, Bill interviews some of the great thought leaders and spiritual uh, thinkers of our time. He's got Paul Selig, who's a channel for the guides. He's got Lee Carroll, who channels an entity called Cryon. He's got Joe Dispenza, who's an amazing uh, metaphysical teacher, Carolyn Miss and so many others. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. And both of these films, PGS, Personal Guidance System, and Facing Fear, are just so much worth, so worthy of your time to watch because there's a lot to learn here. I learned a lot. Once again, I have the privilege of having interviewed over 650 thought leaders. I get a free education as I do the show for you. And I do my very best, as you know, to ask the questions and drill down into the areas where I think you might be interested in because I'm a, I'm a guy's guy. I'm a regular person. So I ask the questions that I think people would want to know the answers to. Just like if I was sitting next to this person on a train or a bus or a, an airplane or sitting in a bar next to them or whatever, I ask the questions that I think people would re- want the real answers to. A lot of common sense stuff. So thanks for coming along with me on this Guys Guys Radio ride. We've been doing it for a number of years now. We're kind of like, we're approaching 550 shows and it's it's just been an absolute blast and we've got a lot more great guests on the way. So what's happening? Well, we just had Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed yours. Thanksgiving is one of those tricky holidays, as I've mentioned in the past. It's tricky for me because uh, I don't eat meat any longer and so then I have to look for the plant substitutes. Fortunately, my wife, she doesn't eat meat either right now. We're pescatarians and so we have a plant-based turkey. It's not the same, believe me, folks. And uh, I miss the turkey and the stuffing. And we used to, as an Italian household, I'd had uh, either raviolis, beef raviolis, or some type of capolettis in soup, which are pasta filled with some type of meat in a chicken broth. So all of that's gone. So Thanksgiving, in terms of the really indulgent eating, is a little bit different now. But you know what? We make do. 
We have substitutes. There's plant-based meat. I kind of like it. I know there's a lot of different opinions about it, but you know, it's to me, it's like remember when uh, Diet Coke came up, came out, and everybody was like, "Oh no!" And then people started drinking Diet Coke, and it, it really just had a replacement. You went through the same ritual. You got that cold can of soda. You cracked it open. You heard that effervescence. You poured it over ice and had had that beautiful sound and watched the bubbles and. After a while, Diet Coke for a lot of people became the same thing as drinking a, a, a traditional Coke. And I think it's the same uh, when you uh, adapt from being a, a non-meat eater to, uh, from a meat eater to a non-meat eater, and you just go through the rituals. And half of it is about the rituals I know for drinking. I haven't, I haven't touched alcohol in now over two years, and although I miss it, I can replace it with the ritual without the alcohol. So I'm actually better off because I'm not getting the uh, questionable, uh, how can I call it, the ingredient of alcohol, if you will, and what that can do to some people, and it's replaced with just the, the ritual of opening up some type of a bottle uh, or a can. There's a, great, a lot of great non-alcoholic beers, so I enjoy that over the holidays. Um, there's now de-alcoholized, alcoholized wine. It's a little bit different. It's not like a, you know, it's not like you're having a fantastic Pinot Noir, but you're opening a bottle, you're pouring a glass and mentally it kind of seeps down into your subconscious telling you, oh, you're having drinks. And even after like you have two little glasses of this kind of non-alcohol wine, you're telling yourself, oh no, I better not have a third glass. It's just, it's just inside of you based on the ritual. There's also a line of, uh, non-alcohol spirits called ritual that are actually pretty good. There's a rum and they have a gin and a, um, a tequila and I think a bourbon. I've had the tequila and the rum and the rum's pretty good. You can actually drink it on the rocks. The others you have to mix. So there's some trade-offs, but you're going through, you can make mocktails out of them. And the point is we can adapt and uh, we can learn. And along the way, for me at least, uh, making that change has helped me get through the holidays because there's so much indulgence in terms of drinking and eating and all that kind of stuff. And the first couple of years that I went through that, I was a little bit like, oh my goodness, this isn't the same. But you know what? It can be the same. You just have to make a couple of adjustments. You turn the dial a little bit and, and you're all good. So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you're ready for all the holidays in December and uh, leading up to New Year's. And, uh, and just get ready because it goes fast and there's usually a lot of commotion, a lot of parties, a lot of getting together. And, uh, and a lot of spending of money on presents and stuff like that. So hang in there. We're going to get through it together. And I hope you have a good one. So let's get to our interview right now with Bill Bennett. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, Guy's Guy's Radio, the guest portion of the show. We've got a fantastic return guest. Uh, his name is Bill Bennett. He's an award-winning filmmaker and author, his home country of Australia, and that's where he's visiting us from today. He's won the equivalent of the Oscar in the Australian Film Institute Awards for Best Film, Best Director. He's been nominated 12 times. His uh, documentary work has been awarded with two Logies, Australian television's highest award. He's had two feature films and an official selection at the Cannes Film Festival. He's won Best Picture at the uh, Car Lovi. Vary, Palm Springs, and Hawaiian Film Festivals. He's just, he's done an amazing job in terms of he's got scripted uh, scripted films, fiction. He's got 
scripted documentaries. He's got uh, books, a series of books uh, through Penguin uh, and young adult novels. Palace of Fires is three of those. Uh, his producing partner, he works with often Jennifer Clough. They've got several films and TV series and developments. And just Bill is an amazing guy. He recently did a film called GPS about intuition, and he did a wonderful job with that. And his latest project that we're going to talk about mostly today is about fear. And uh, so I'm thrilled because it's a topic that's on everyone's mind all the time because it's really something that's been perpetrated uh, and put upon us by the media uh, just constantly. And it's all about fear these days. So my special guest returning to Guys Guys Radio is Bill Bennett. Welcome back to the show. Uh, lovely to be here. Thank you. So you're a storied filmmaker and novelist. How did all of your uh, creative path begin? What was the start of that? What, what, what inspired you? Was it, did it come from when you were a boy, when you uh, studied in school? Where, did, where was the uh, tipping points for you? The inciting incidents. Oh, oh crikey, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell you what, uh, I was, I was uh, at my mother's place. She's um, 95. She's still alive. And I'm, I was trawling through her photo albums. Um, you know, you do that at this point in her life, you know, when um, when you're wanting to kind of <laughs> get, get sort of a retrospective of things. And I was looking through some old photo albums, and there was a photograph of me. I must have been about five or six years old with a box brownie camera. And I thought, my goodness, you know, even at that age, I, I had an interest in photography. And I did. I, I, I grew up loving cameras, loving the technical aspect of photography. I, at a, quite a young age, I built a dark room in um, an underground room at our house when we were living in Brisbane in Queensland. I was doing my own processing um, through school even. I was... Uh, photographing and writing stories, basically working as a freelance photojournalist, um, submitting to magazines, getting them published, that sort of thing. You know, so that 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 went through into my university years. I, I paid my way partly through university by by doing freelance journalism. So it just, um, I just love photography. I loved images, and I loved writing, and so. Filmmaking kind of came as a consequence of that. It, it almost came as a revelation um, that I could com combine my love of writing, my love of photography into into something like that. But, Robert, i got to say, you know, like um, my next birthday is 70. So I grew up in, in Brisbane uh, in a very conservative uh, environment in the 70s, really. And the prospect of being a filmmaker or a film director was kind of equivalent to the prospect of being an astronaut. You know, there was like, there was no film school, schools, there was no career path, there was nothing. I just had this desire to tell stories through photography and writing, and it was as simple as that. And your very first um, written piece of work and your very first film, tell us about those, what you learned, what the process was like, how did you deal with... Uh questions about the work how, what did you learn from your own experience in terms of how to do the work well um i i i started off studying medicine in fact at university i did i did two years of medicine and bailed out of that because I, I just knew intuitively that i was not cut out to be a doctor 
At the time, I was, as I say, I was working as a photojournalist freelance, and that was my real love. And so I switched my course across to journalism. I quickly got picked up by the ABC, Australia's equivalent of the BBC, if you like, um, and was trained by them. It turned out to be the best training possible for a journalist um, over a period of 10 years. I started off as a news reporter, moved into current affairs, then moved into documentaries. And um, while I was uh, a documentary maker, I picked up this extraordinary story uh, from the front page of uh, a newspaper in Australia here about a street in which Vietnam veterans were dying. And the story um, centered on one Vietnam veteran in particular uh, who believed that there was a causal relationship between Agent Orange and the cancer that he had developed. And he took the government to court. And, I th and he ended up dying uh, through this cancer, but his wife took the fight um, on, on his behalf. She continued, ended up winning, and it became the first time in the world that a Vietnam vet had proven uh, to a court that Agent Orange caused um, death through cancer. Anyway, I thought, wow, this is a great story. Um, so I sent a researcher out to do research she came back and she said bill you've got to make this film you just simply got to make this film so i then spent several months with this widow out in this street where this all happened and i came up with this script and no one wanted to finance it of course i couldn't get any government backing i couldn't get you know anything so what i did i, I was just determined to make this film so what i did is i heard that sugarcane prices were high in Queensland, and that the sugarcane farmers had excess cash, if you like. And so I just went up and down the coast knocking on doors until I raised enough money from sugarcane farmers to make the film. That is amazing. Now, how, how did, what kind of deals did you make with them? And you don't mind my asking where they would get something back when the film came out, or how did you get um, How did you work? Yeah, there, there, there were, um, at the time, there, there were certain tax breaks available, but I had no track record. This was my first feature film. Um, I'm, uh, you know, it's a, a pretty kind of downer of a subject. It's not like a romantic comedy or a thriller right. or something like that. You know, like it's a serious social issue film. Um, I printed up some brochures. The only thing that I had to trade off is that I'd done a, a documentary, a dramatised documentary a year earlier, and it had won the Sydney Film Festival uh, Award for Best Documentary. That was the only thing that I had to trade off. But, you know, when you're talking to a sugarcane farmer, you know, halfway up the coast of Queensland, he doesn't care about that. <laughs> you know, right. he, doesn't, he doesn't care about that. I mean, look, in the end, I... I discover one really important thing, and that is that people invest not so much in the project, but they invest in you. They invest in your passion, your belief, their belief in you doing something important. And, um, you know, the people who invested in the film, I don't think were, were so, much so much looking for an ROI. They were really looking at backing me, and I think that they were... Um, taken by my very real desire to make something special out, out of this film. Fantastic. Bill Bennett, my special guest here on Guys Guys Radio. We're going to talk about his new film, Fear, but let's first stop. We're going to fast forward a little bit from your first uh, documentary to the P uh, PGS, Personal Guidance System. 
I said GPS before, but I think it's yeah. a play on words. Uh, all about intuition. Terrific, terrific film. And you talked to us about it on the show, I believe, a few years ago when it came out. What inspired you to make this film and what did you learn when you made it? Things that you learned that you didn't know after you, you know, once you made the film, what did you know that you didn't know when you began it? About intuition. Oh, <laughs> Robert, I mean, that's a that's a big one. That that is I, look, that film changed my life. Um so see what happened was this. I um my career as a filmmaker started then to take off and I ended up um I ended up doing a lot of big movies. I did a romantic comedy with Sandra Bullock in Hollywood for Warner Brothers. You know, I did I did I was doing really big stuff. Uh, and on this occasion I was in New Orleans doing a thriller with Burt Reynolds. Um I had um I had to go to the airport early one morning before dawn to catch the first flight back to Los Angeles. And I was approaching an intersection. I was running late. There was a green light up ahead. I went to accelerate to make sure that I got through on the green. And as I did, a voice kicked in saying, slow down. I ignored it. I thought, this is weird. I must be imagining this. I went to accelerate again. The voice came in more emphatically a second time, slow down. I slowed down. And this huge truck, semi-trailer, uh, ran around red light, uh, just hurtled across the intersection in front of me. Had I not listened to that voice, had I not acted on it, that that truck would have killed me. I pulled up on the other side of the intersection. I, my heart was racing. I was, you know, I was thinking, what the bloody hell just happened? You know that that uh, I was so close to death. And basically, that kind of prompted me then to spend the next ten years. I'm not joking. It was ten years. Um, researching intuition and trying to understand what happened to me. I had three three burning questions. What was that voice? Where did it come from? And why did it save my life? And those three questions really propelled me through the film. And to, to answer your question as to what I learned in the making of that film, um, and in saying it changed my life, it, it did change my life. Um, when I started off, I didn't know a damn thing about intuition. I mean, I knew it as a word, um, and we all think we know what intuition is, but I had no understanding of how it worked or anything like that. And I met some extraordinary people through the making of that film. I traveled the world three times, and I spoke to um Oh, I spoke to the Prince of Bhutan, amongst other things. You know, I, I met the Hindu equivalent of the Dalai Lama and spoke to him. Um, I spoke to some extraordinary neuroscientists and uh, psych psychiatrists and so forth. Um, and I learned a huge amount about intuition and I learned a huge amount about myself. And what happened was that I shifted. I changed as a person through the making of that film. I changed fundamentally. You know, I started to see that there's a bigger picture and that, that we exist in a bigger picture to the one that I had previously imagined. I had grown up in a family where my both my parents were dentists. Uh, my household was very evidence-based in thinking. My period as a journalist only emphasized that and sort of honed my skills in being cynical to anything you know that that was um that couldn't be proven um but during the making of this film i decided that i would let go of that i didn't want to make a bbc documentary kind of thing i want to keep an open mind i wanted to I, you know I, I thought 
there's something going on here that I, I don't understand. Science couldn't, science really couldn't explain to me what that voice was. So I had to look elsewhere. And in looking elsewhere, I discovered that, you know, to use um, Shakespeare's words, um, there are more things in heaven and earth than I dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's amazing. I had a, my, my own situation similar to that. I, had an, which I didn't know about, but I had this massive appendicitis attack to two and a half, two and a half years ago. And I was laying on the floor in my bedroom and my life force started to leave my body. And uh, I got a message in my head and it said, don't drink alcohol. I pulled myself back in my body. I went to the hospital. They did an appendectomy on me. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I, I never drank alcohol after that. I didn't have an alcohol issue, but I heard that voice and I followed it because I figured it was there to tell me something. I have no idea where it came from. And I just figured, you know what, if it made itself so available to me, there's got to be more than meets the eye here. So, and I know there is, so I, I might as well listen. And I did. So a similar situation. And did it save my life the way your life was saved. I don't know, but I, I don't think it hurt because I think I'm a lot more clear now. I don't really, I don't really need alcohol and social as a social lubricant or anything like that. So, and it's a very different experience when you're, you know, when you're socializing and all, and you don't drink. Um, uh, and I worked in the distilled spirits business and the wine business uh, for many years, so it was a big change for me. But um, I listen. So, do you listen now to your intuition, Bill? I do. I do. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's really interesting, Robert, because now when I, I look back on my life and I see major turning points in my life, um, I, I realize that uh, intuition had a role to play. There are times when I acted on the intuitive um, nudge that I got and things worked out. And there were times when I, I ignored that intuitive voice or prompt and things didn't turn out. In fact, things got really kind of ugly. Um, and I can see that now with some clarity. What was interesting in making this film is that uh, we screened it theatrically in cinemas around Australia and around America. And uh, for many of those screenings, I attended and did Q&As. And then after the Q&A, Q&As, people would come up to me and they would say, you know what, Bill, this validates what happened to me. And then they would tell me their particular story about how a voice or an intuitive prompt saved their life. Um, interestingly, the majority of the stories were always car-based or road-based or, you know, I mean, I remember one person telling me a story about how they were about to step off um, on a street, a road, with um, crosslets, pedestrian crossing. And the um, the light turned red, the walk signal came on, they're about to step off. And a, a, a hand came out of nowhere and pulled this person back uh, so that stopping this person from stepping off into the road. Car, boom, went right through. Had that person um, just stepped off as, as they were going to, they, they would have been killed by that car. Looked around, no one behind them. You know, what was that hand? You know, these sort of stories. And these, these people don't come up to me and, and spin me a line. I'm, I mean, you look into their eyes and, and they're telling you what happened. Um, and this happened time and time again. And what I realized was that 
what happened to me in the car with that voice wasn't unusual. It wasn't freakish. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't exceptional. This sort of thing happens all the time. It's just that most people don't talk about it because they're embarrassed to. You know, they they're embarrassed that people will think they're crazy or you know, <laughs> you know, going nuts or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, whilst these people said it validated their story, they're coming up to me and telling telling me this stuff validated my story as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. So since then, do you um, um, go out of your way now to listen more? Are you more present that way in terms of being able to receive this type of message? Or do you just continue to go on your path? And if things come up, you're more aware that like, hmm, that might be my intuition giving me some information again. Yeah, it's more the latter than the former. Um, I, It's not that I necessarily have my radar spinning at a higher rate. Um, but I do make decisions now. There's no doubt that I make decisions now intuitively rather than rationally. So if something if something doesn't feel right, and I understand that that just just that that thing of like this feels right, this doesn't feel right. This person feels like somebody that I could work with. This person doesn't feel like somebody I could work with. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust that now. I trust it absolutely. And I know that it is part of what I call my personal guidance system, PGS, um, working to working to, to guide me in the right direction. What I, what I learned, Robert, was this, and that is that intuition has two functions. Its primary function is to keep us alive. That's its number one function because we, we can't fulfill our purpose in this lifetime if we're dead. You know, so number one, intuition tries to keep us alive, and hence that voice. Um, you know, you're, you're working in. I found found it interesting that you're working in the wine and spirit industry. And, you know that your intuition said no more alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know what was down the the track for you, but exactly. you trusted that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so the number one function of intuition is to keep us alive. The second function is to keep us on our path. And our path through life, and um, but most people don't. <laughs> most people ignore that, and this is why we end up with so much unhappiness and depression, and people getting sick and stuff like that. You know, it's because they haven't followed their intuitive path. You know that they end up in jobs that they hate. They end up in relationships that that just aren't working. Um, you know, they they go into business ventures that end up collapsing, and it's because they haven't followed those intuitive nudges that were there saying, no, do not undertake that business. Do not go into a relationship with this person. You know, do not make that that investment decision. Um, most people follow common sense. They follow logic. They follow, they follow advice from other people. They don't follow their heart. They don't follow their intuition. And consequence, consequently, you know, like I say, there's, there's so much illness, there's so much unhappiness. People feel unfulfilled. They get to a certain point in their life and they, you know, and it's one of the reasons why the suicide rate is so high, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take that, let's walk across that bridge now and take it all the way to the next movie, the new movie, Fear, which I, because I believe there's a relationship. Uh, and just one mm-hmm. uh, little bit of punctuation on, uh, on the personal guidance system. I, I think that sometimes people don't, 
they don't trust their intuition because they're not sure if it's intuition or not. There's a lot of mental chatter and we are overloaded with information and data. And I think people don't trust the information that's coming in because they think, what am I just talking to myself? It's something like when you start to meditate, it takes a while for you to quiet your mind down and allow spirit or whatever to come in and, uh, and have that type of connection there. But Let's cross the bridge well, to it. Just, ahead, just, on that, just on that, Robert, what I've discovered is this. Intuition comes in clear and without an agenda. Um, there's nothing attached to intuition. It doesn't seek an outcome. Um, your, your logical, if you like, small self wants you to do something. It has an agenda. And often it's a fear-based response. Um, so, so the way that I have learn to distinguish between what is a small self voice if you like and what is my um higher self voice is the higher self voice doesn't want anything um it's just pure clean guidance mm -hmm. uh the small the small self voice wants something and often as i say it's fear-based Mm -hmm. uh, that's beautifully stated and that's a perfect segue i'm with bill bennett we're talking about his new film the award-winning documentary filmmaker bill bennett we're talking about fear the new film tell us about what was the inspiration for this topic uh where are you in the process of launching the film and uh i watched it recently it was terrific i really can connect with a lot of the guests we've had some of your uh guests in your film on our show, Paul Selig, for one. Um, and I thought it was terrific. So tell us just uh, the platforms for you, Bill. Tell us about Fear and the movie. Oh, thank you. Um, the film is called Facing Fear. And, Robert, what happened was that when I was making the film on intuition, I discovered that, the, you know, as I've, as I've said here, um, the biggest blockage to intuition is fear. And I... Um, I started to think about that, and I thought, well, you know, in the same way that I thought I knew what intuition was and then went, got into it and realized that I didn't know what intuition was, I thought I knew what fear was. But but the more I started to read up on fear, the more I realized that it's actually quite a complex kind of thing. And I thought that it would be interesting to put my forensic lens onto it in the same way that I had with intuition. But um, so partway through making the film on intuition, I decided that I would make a film on fear. But then what happened was that at the end of the making of the making the intuition film, um, I started to get symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And it was kind of like the universe was saying to me, Bill, if you want to make a film on fear, let's do it for real. Let's put you in a real fear, mate. And let you let you make this film, you know, from a personal perspective that's absolutely authentic. So I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease um, after having made the decision to make the film on fear. Um, and with that diagnosis, of course, I was thrown into you know very real fear. Um, and so, um, and so I've used that in the film. I've got to say that I've used that in the film um, as a as an entry point, if you like, um, for a much broader discussion on fear, as you as you saw, you know, when you saw the film. Um, my wife of four, of forty years, who is much 
wiser and stronger than me um, was dead against me using this Parkinson's in the film, dead against it. Um, her attitude was what you focus on, you will manifest. And if you, if you state in this film, I have Parkinson's disease and you get up in, in Q&As and you talk about that, it is only going to, um, it, it, you are going to step into your, your reality that you have created. You know, to which I said, darling, I've got Parkinson's disease. I, I don't think these things happen randomly. You know, this has happened for some purpose. I've, I've been a fit, healthy person all my life. I've looked after myself. You know, I've, I've, um, I've eaten well. I've exercised all, all my life. Why would this happen to me? It's got to have, it's got to, it must have happened for some purpose. And the only purpose that I can think of is twofold. One is that it's an important step in my spiritual growth. And the second is that I have to somehow put it into service. I have to somehow use this. Um, you know, I don't mean to sound in any way sort of self-righteous or grandiose, but I've got to somehow use this to help other people mm-hmm. um, because otherwise I see no sense in it. It makes no sense, and I don't believe that there are, these things happen randomly. Um, Is your wife on board now, now that you've made that decision? She's, no. she's seen your... Uh, <laughs> no, no. 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 <laughs> I mean, I've been doing Q and A's, and you know, and somebody asked me this question. And I say, I bring my wife. I say, my wife's in the audience, and I say, "Come on, darling, come, come." You know, you're best to speak about this. You speak, and she gets up and she absolutely tears the skin off me. Wow! She absolutely roasts me. Um, she still, she still believes that I shouldn't have done it, and it's a stupid thing. She acknowledges my and respects my decisions, you know, for my reasons for doing it, but she still doesn't agree with it, no. How, how did you uh, choose the uh, your guest stars, if you will, for both the uh, movie about t- intuition and fear? How did you uh, kind of uh, identify who you wanted to speak with and then make the connections to get them in your film? It's a really good question, Robert. Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm a producer. I've been a journalist. I've... Um, you know, I've I've operated very logically and methodically and and so forth all, all my life. What I discovered with both these films is that um, that I had to let go of everything. Uh, all the people that are in the film are choices from my intuition. I cannot I cannot say any other way. Like I've got Carolyn Mace, for instance. You, you never see in, in interviews. She doesn't do interviews, right. but she's in both these films. Um, and she came about because I was directed towards this bloke called Norm Shearley, Dr. Norm Shearley, mm-hmm. um, and I did an interview with him. And then at the end of the interview, he called up Carolyn. It turned out they're really good mates, you know, and they've worked together for many, many years. He called up Carolyn. He said, Carolyn, uh, you, you've got to meet this bloke. You got you got to do an interview with him. Don't argue with me. Do it, <laughs> you know. And so I get an interview with Callan Mays, and um, it kind of happened like that with Paul Selig. Um, I had Paul is in both films again, right? And I had um, I'd finished filming all of the interviews for PGS, 
And I was quite interested in the process of channeling. And I'd gone onto Amazon to look for books on channeling. And I came across Paul Selig, in fact, his fourth book, The Book of Mastery. And I, it just spoke to me. So I got it on Kindle. I read it straight away. Then I went back and I read the three previous books, I Am the Word and and, and read them all. And I said to Jennifer, my wife, um, we've got to go to New York. We, we've, got to, we've got to interview this bloke. Uh, and she said, we finished filming. We don't have the money. Um, you can't do it. I said, darling, we've got to do it. Um, <laughs> so we found the money. We went, we went to New York. In fact, we interviewed Paul the day that uh, Donald Trump got elected as president. Wow. Um, New York was sort of in, in <laughs> a state of shock and grief, and they were literally walking, walking down Central Park East or whatever it is. Um, people were crying in the street. <laughs> um, but it was um, Paul has become a dear friend. Um, I have learned so much from him. Um, he probably more than anybody has influenced my worldview and and been instrumental in my in my growth. Um, but it was absolutely an intuitive choice, Robin. In, totally intuitive choice. You know, you know, people talk about going into a bookstore and a book falling out of the shelf in, you know, at their feet and picking it up and that's the book that changes their life. That's what happened to me when I went on Amazon. <laughs> well, that's what. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I, I met Paul Selig by way of I went to a, uh, a bookstore, kind of a new age store on 14th Street and Fifth Avenue in New York. Fifth Avenue, I think, fifth or sixth. And I saw this book on the shelf. My wife was looking around at Precious Stones. I was looking around at uh, the books, and a book said, I am the word. And I picked it up and I took it home and paul selig he nobody knew who he was at the time it was his first book it just came out i it was his local bookstore he lived right around the corner i didn't know that i read the book i didn't get it but i read it again which i never do and then i read it a third time which i never ever do and i'm like i think i get what this is and i'm connecting with it i since then i've attended paul's uh workshops um i've had him on my show with every book launch and I've learned so much through the guides because, as Paul says, he is strictly a radio frequency and antenna, and it's the guides that are doing the teaching. So, once again, intuition takes uh, uh, raises its head and helps us. Um, how long does it take to make a documentary film like this? Just for our for our listeners, they want you know they they go to a film and they they watch it, they enjoy it. How long does it take to make something like this? What is the process like? Um. I don't make these films quickly, Robert. Um, PTS took five years. Uh, Facing Fear took four years. Um, I mean, in editing, I spent 18 months in editing on PTS. Uh, with this film, it was faster. I, I took nine months, okay. um, largely because in with PTS, there, there were two problems with PTS. One is that I didn't know anything about intuition and I was learning about it as I went um, and that was a long process and it wasn't a straight line graph you know I, I would um, I would learn something and then I would sink back into rational thinking and then I would um, intuitively find find somebody or read a book that would then take me up the next step and then I'd fall back again and so forth um, the editing is painstaking um, it is um, 
It's a lengthy and complex process. You look at the films, they, they flow through so easily, so quickly. You know, they're, they're quite effortless. But believe me, the work and toil that goes into it to make no, I, it that way is huge. And I'm, I'm an experienced filmmaker. You know, I know, I know what I'm doing. Now, you've done a lot of scripted. You've done some rom-coms. You've worked with some of the top actors, Sandra Bullock, um, Dennis Leary, Burt Reynolds, uh, Kali Montague. Um, how, what did, what's the difference from your perspective as a filmmaker in terms of working on scripted kind of Hollywood formulaic and it's in some ways stories versus making a documentary? I don't want to do that stuff anymore, Robert. I, I, I just simply don't. Um, at this point in my life, I, you know, if I had the choice to get a high paying gig doing, you know, um, a Hollywood thriller or a romantic comedy, I would um, I would say no, and I mean that absolutely, um, because most films don't have any underlying meaning. Now, that's not the case of all films, but most films don't. You know, and at this point in my life, I, I want to I want to concentrate on these films. I want to do stuff that has meaning, and that I can learn from. Because if I learn stuff then other people are going to learn stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sort of trying to proselytize or, or to change the world or anything like that. I'm trying to change myself, That's you know. Great. And if I change myself, then in some way that might help change the world. What other topics do you see uh, kind of over the, over the horizon for you to tackle after you've just, you know, fear, the book, the Facing Fear is coming out, and you've got the GP, uh, PGS. What would be next after mm-hmm. fear? Hope. That's hope. What I, I was kind of thinking um, that. What, faith or trust or hope, something like that, right? Yeah. So what, what I've decided to do is I've decided to do five films in a series um, because Facing Fear follows exactly the same style template as um, PGS, as you've seen, you know, it's in chapters and um, you've got the, what I call the interstitial visual sequences with the drone shots and so forth. Um, the next film will be on hope. Beyond The one after that is going to be on purpose. Um, the, one, the one after that is going to be on death, mm-hmm. um, which I'm calling the veil. So intu- intuition, fear, hope purpose and death and they're all inter, inter, interwoven you know they're all exploring they're all exploring the soul journey if you like you know the journey of the soul now um, when you're when, when you're working and that's on what really inter- when you're working on I'm the sorry. bill i'm sorry to interrupt um do you are you going to with these next three films are you going to work on them concurrently or are you going to do uh, hope and then the next two, or do you shoot it all and then parse it into three separate stories? How do you approach that from a creator's point of view? It's a really, really good question. I'm really struggling with that at the moment, Robert. I mean, ideally what I'd like would be a big chunk of money so that I could go and shoot shoot the three because there'll be people that right. will be common to the three films. Like, for instance, Paul has agreed to be involved in the next three films. Um Lee, Lee Carroll has agreed to, um, but there'll be other people that will be specific to each individual film. For instance, I, I really want to try and speak to Brene Brown 
about um, uh, hope, for instance. Um, I'd like to speak to Sir Richard Branson about purpose. Um, you know, so there there are people that I'll be targeting. Um, I I'm hoping that I'll be able to speak to Michelle Obama about hope. Um, ideally, ideally, I'd like to have a chunk of money. Um, being two, $2 million US dollars to do the three films um, and be able to do that. But when it comes to the editing, I'm just simply going to have to focus on one film at a time um, because it does require that level of focus and intensity. Um, but, you know, if somebody came to me tomorrow and gave me a check for $2 bucks, then what I'd do is I would um, go off and shoot the three films um, and then I would look at putting the films out three years in a row. So, you know, the film on Hope would be one year, then the film on Purpose would be the next year, and then the film on Death would be the year after. Wearing uh, the different hats you've worn and you continue to wear, Bill, writer, producer, director, talent, um, novelist, what, what brings you the most joy? Oh, that's another good question. <laughs> um, I love doing these films. I got to say, I really I, I, look. I love being behind the camera, and I, I love. Um, and you saw both both films have extraordinary cinematography. You know, they're, they're stunning looking films, and I, I I enjoy that aspect of it. But look, in the end, I'm a writer, and there's nothing gives me more pleasure than just sitting in a in a room by myself with a a laptop writing. Um, I'd like to get these three films done, and then, and then I'd just like to just concentrate on my writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After this experience that you've gone through over the last year or so, what do you now fear? You ask good questions, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here, Bill. <laughs> um. To be quite frank, I don't fear anything. I really don't. I mean, look, if somebody burst into the room here with a knife, you know, and went to stab me, I, I would have a survival fear. Sure. Um, there's no doubt about that. that that's, that's, um, that's, it, that's bolted into my DNA. It's bolted into everyone's DNA. But in terms of, um, of the fears and anxieties and stresses that, that used to plague me, I don't have them anymore. And I've come to realize one really crucial thing, and that is that all fear in some form is based on loss. Now, I haven't found a fear yet that is not based on loss. And, and in, when, when this first occurred to me, and I've not read this anywhere and no one's told me this or, you know, this just kind of come from my trying to understand exactly what fear is and where it comes from. Um, Fear of death is loss, of course. Um, fear of uh, fear of um, lack of money is loss. I mean, you, you can go through them, peel it back. It's all based on loss. And what I came to realize that is, if I could come to terms with my fear of loss, then I could pretty much rid myself of fear. Um, and so that's what I've done. You know, I've I've just gone right. There's no such thing as loss in the universe. There is no such thing of loss, loss in the universe. And if, if you really truly believe that, then the fear just dissipates. It just goes away. 
Very, very well stated. Bill Bennett, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. The new film is Facing Fear. Also check out the uh, PGS, Personal Guidance System. He's done a trilogy of young adult books. He's done scripted rom-coms, all kinds of Hollywood films. And he's just an amazing talent. And I can say it's an honor to have you on the show again, Bill. And best of luck with Facing Fear. Tell everybody where they can find your work, including the new movie. Um, thanks, Robert, for saying that. Um, my website is Bill Bennett, B I double L B E double N E double T. Oh, sorry, you Americans don't say double N's, do you? You say N N E T T. I learned that. Um, dot com dot AU, AU is for Australia. Um, Facing Fear is going out theatrically in cinemas. We're doing pop up screenings around America. Starting January the 18th, we premiere at the San Rafael Film Center in in uh, uh, the Bay Area of California. On January the 18th, we then do pop-up screenings all around the country after that. Um, eventually, it'll be online. And uh, in terms of PGS, uh, that's available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. Um Palace of Fires, as you say, has been published by Penguin Random House. It's available on Amazon, I believe. And I've done another book called um, Walk um, The Way My Way. It's my book of walking the Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been very popular. That's on uh, Amazon as well. Fantastic. Well, keep up the good work. God bless you. And thanks for being our guest once again on Guys Guys Radio. Bill Bennett, everybody. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Terrific conversation with a true talent, Bill Bennett from Australia. He's a writer, producer, director, novelist, award-winning talent. Bill Bennett, the latest film, it's a documentary, it's called Facing Fear. And as Bill has been, uh, as he was making the movie, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, as he mentioned, and he was dealing with fear. Uh, in real time while he was making a movie about fear. So there's a real feeling of authenticity and truth when you watch this film. So look out for it. It's going to be in your area and check it out on the big screen. And then at some point, I'm sure they'll be streaming it. You can check out his previous documentary, the first in the series that he's doing. It's called PGS personal guidance system. It's all about intuition. And we've all had bouts of intuition. And if we're aware and present and we listen, it can really help us because it's part of our life. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM, the podcast and my YouTube post worldwide, as well as my Rumble and Post worldwide every Thursday. And then the radio show is rebroadcast on KCAA every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. We're here for you each and every week. We've done over 550 shows now, I think. We're just around at the 550 mark. And we've got a lot more in the pipeline. We've got a lot of terrific guests. And we're here for you just about every week. We, I think we'll do a, you know, we do a rebroadcast maybe once a year. And that's usually out of necessity for some type of logistical thing. But we have new content coming at you all the time. You can catch me on my website, robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I.com. And we have over 300 blog posts 
about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, a lot of the subject matter that we, co- we cover here on Guys Guys Radio, as well as you can download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is the source material for everything Guys Guy, if you will. It started the whole brand and brand platform, and it's about two men in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in the advertising business in New York City. And it's a rom-com, and it's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. It's fast, frothy, there's lots of sex, there's redemption, there's friendship, there's flawed men and savvy women, and it's a lot of fun. You can check out the reviews online, and also you can download three free chapters to see if you enjoy the book. And if you do, you can pick up the physical copy or a digital copy, copy where you purchase your content. So we're here for you every week. I've got a lot of great guests in the pipeline. I want to thank all of the 650 folks that I've talked to who have helped educate me. Uh, I have learned so much as I do the show, and I have so much fun and passion about bringing you the content that we bring you each and every week. And if you enjoy the guests I bring you and you enjoy the content on Guys Guys Radio, I just ask you one favor. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to Guys Guys Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your content and your Guys Guys Radio. It's really important to us. And I do my very best to bring you the best guests, the best information, things that will help you live your best lives. That's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. I also want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris who's got my back. She's with us each and every week. And also, last but not least, I want to thank you, our our rapidly growing audience worldwide. The show's been downloaded in over 101 countries. We've got so much in the pipeline. We've got so much content for you and so much information we want to share that just will help you in your day-to-day life in these crazy times. We give you some clear, authentic information, and then you can determine, hey, is this right for me or not? But that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. I'm going to be back next week. I hope you ramp up, get ready for the holidays, but kind of keep it under control, right? Until then, I'm going to see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.